Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Matthew chapter 18, and we will uh, begin to read in verse 1. And the word of the Lord reads this way. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. As you can see, um, Vacation Bible School is a big deal here at First Baptist Church. I mean, I don't know if you realize it, but we kind of go all out for Vacation Bible School. Um, We go all out for the decorations. I mean, this sanctuary has been a a space station. It has been a medieval castle. Uh, Last year, it was a a cave. Uh, This year, it's the Maker Fun Factory. We go all out for the production. Um, We go all out for the curriculum. We go all out for the games and the treats and the prizes, all the things that the kids really love. Uh, And we also go out for um, the way that we share our hope with these kids. We go all out for everything in VBS. In fact, my wife, uh, Kimberly, she has worked on Vacation Bible School this year for about eight months, uh, maybe longer than that. But the truth is, it's about an eight-month production. I mean, in fact, as soon as the VBS kit is available online, we order it. And as soon as it gets here, she opens it up, and she starts to look at the parts and pieces, and she starts to, uh, to think about uh, how we're going to work this out this year. And she asks the question she has to ask herself every year, do I really want to do this? I'm just kidding. Um, not, <laughs> not to mention uh, Joe Wilson, uh, who teaches the Bible lessons in the, in the basement every year. Um, she works for several months building props and uh, decorations for the sanctuary here, um, in, uh, here for VBS for her stories. And in addition to that, we have uh, lots of church meetings where we talk a lot about VBS. And uh, we're gonna talk, we always talk about you know, what we're going to do, who's going to do what part, right? Do we have enough volunteers? We never have enough volunteers, right? We spend hours and hours, you know, gathering supplies and ordering stuff and promoting, you know, VBS on social media, uh, communicating and trying to get the community involved. Uh, we create artwork and banners and all the paperwork that you need, you know, who's got what allergy and, you know, who can have what food and keeping track of all those little details. And then we recruit and train the volunteers. Um, and then we do everything we can do to make sure that everyone is background checked so we know that the kids are, you know, safe. And then, you know, we do everything we can do to get ready all for this one week, 10 hours every summer. And uh, so we go all out for VBS because VBS for us is a big deal. And, uh, but you have to understand VBS isn't simply a big deal because we love VBS, all right? Because let's face it, it's a lot of work, right? Um, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, you know, herding around about 60 to 70 kids between the ages of five and 11-ish, right? Um, you know, all those kids with their own personalities, all those kids with their way of doing things, all those kids with their way of responding to authority, right? All those, those kids with their likes and dislikes and habits and food allergies and messes that they like to make. And it's a challenge. VBS is a lot of work and it can be stressful. Um, you know, for the director, it certainly can be stressful. For volunteers, it can be exhausting, right? In fact, uh, I, I don't think there was a volunteer here that... Um, who struggled at all to go to sleep this every night this last week, right? <laughs> In fact, I think this is what VBS looks like for most of us, right? 
First day, last day, right? VBS really requires a lot physically, mentally, and spiritually. I mean, it requires a lot. And it's also expensive. It costs money um, to do the things that we do, from the decorations to the prizes to the snacks and the curriculum, you know. Uh, we invest a lot of time, energy, and resources to make VBS possible. But we don't do VBS simply just because, you know, we want something to do during the summer. And we don't do VBS because your kids are bored at home, right? And we don't do VBS so you guys can have a break. That's, you know, that's a byproduct. Um, we do VBS because it's a big deal. And the reason why it's a big deal is because your kids are a big deal to us. That's just the simple truth, right? We do this because we care about your kids. We care about what happens to them. We care what, about what kind of life that they live. We, we care what, about what kind of people they grow up to be. We care about the tra- their, their life as a transition, you know, from, from kid to, to teenager to teenager to young adult to adult, you know, to fully functioning, responsible member of our community, right? But most importantly, though, we care about what happens to your child in eternity, what happens to your child for the next life. We do what we do here, you know, because we deeply care about every one of these little kids. Every single one of them. Everyone that you saw here standing, singing today. We care about every one of them and all the other ones that were here as well. They are all important to us. And as believers and followers of Christ, we work hard because we know something very, very important. And what we know is the truth that the world is after your kids. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. The world is after your kids because the world has figured out if they can get your kids, if they can, they can change your kids' mind, if they can shape your kids, they can shape the world through them. That's why companies market to your kids. All right, did you know that the vast majority of marketing dollars is spent on teenagers and younger? Companies have figured it out that you love your kids and they have figured out if they can make your kid want something bad enough that you will do what you have to do to make sure that your kid has what they want. Because they know that you love your kids. That's why so much advertising is aimed at your children. The marketplace has realized it is through children that they change the world. And it has. I mean, kids routinely have access to vast storehouses of information on the internet on a $500 piece of equipment that they carry around in their phone. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I didn't own nothing that was 500 bucks. Right? I mean, kids are walking around with these things with cracked screens and everything like that. Um, $500. They have changed the industry by marketing to our kids. And it's not just that. It's also the music industry. You listen to any genre of music you want to. It's all aimed at kids. You watch the movie industry. It's all aimed at kids. Right? They're back in the 90s, early 2000s. They were still making a lot of what they called adult dramas. Movies that adults would go because they were like, you know, heavy themed. It was about acting and dialogue. Right? You don't see a lot of adult dramas anymore because they're not appealing to adults anymore. They're pe- appealing to teenagers and younger. That's what they're doing with their audiences. Children today have access to more resources. They have access to more stuff. They have, ac- they have access to more disposable income than any other time in all of human history. Right? And, and, and this is all the work of the, of, of, of the market targeting your kids. And it's not just businesses that are doing this. Political activists are targeting your children as well. All right? Your children are, con- are consuming a steady, steady diet all the time of propaganda. It's in their music. It's on television. It's through uh, the internet on videos and blogs and memes and video games. And it's even through their public education system. 
There's lots of people and organizations all around them all competing for your child's attention and loyalty. There's a war of ideas going on around them in order to influence and shape your kids, regardless of what you think or what your input is, regardless of your values. Your kids are being taught a philosophy that most adults don't even know exists right now. And the common threads of this philosophy of what's being taught are, number one, there's no objective standard for truth. That's the first thing that they're being taught. It's a foundational philosophy that they're being taught. Is there's no objective standard of truth. The world we live in right now has bought into the postmodern idea that, that most people don't even know exists. They don't even know that they've even inherited this idea. This postmodern philosophy says that there's no real objective truth. And this idea is then what is right for me is not necessarily right for you. What is wrong for me is not necessarily wrong for you. What is moral for me may not be moral for you. What's true for you may not be the truth for me. There's no objective standard for truth. And because of that, there's no standard for moral truth, right? That your morals are not my morals. You're, you, so you have no right to impose your view of what's right and wrong on me. That's the idea. And this philosophy has borne a great deal of fruit. In fact, there's an article published July the 20th that we read. Um, it says, the authorities in Florida say that a group of teenagers, ages 14 to 16, recorded the drowning of a disabled man last week and did nothing to help the man as they made fun of him struggling. James Dunn, 32, drowned in a retention pod July 9th. His body was recovered July 14th, two days after his fiance reported him missing. Last week, a friend of Dunn's family came across a video on social media and forwarded it to the authorities in Brevard County. In the video, which was published by the Florida Today newspaper, um, says that the teens can be heard laughing at Dunn as he splashed futilely in the water and screamed for help. Get out of the water. You're going to die, yells one of the teenagers. While another one yells, ain't nobody fixing to come help you, you dumb expletive. As Dunn disappears under the water, one of the teens says, oh, he just died. Investigators say that none of the teens, none of the teens, all between 14 and 16, called 911 to report Dunn's drowning and try to, or try to help him. They just laughed the whole time. The police department spokeswoman Yvonne Martinez told Florida Today uh, that he was just screaming for someone to help him. This is the fruit of the idea that there's no real absolute standard of truth because you'll ask them kids, did you do something wrong? They said, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not obligated to help him. Why is your, why is your moral standards supposed to be my moral standards? Why is your truth supposed to be my truth? Right? I didn't know him. I don't have no moral obligation to help him. That's the idea. And this idea is getting fed to our kids all the time in many forms. The second idea that our kids are being taught is that there's no objective standard for truth. That there's no objective reality. Our kids are being taught that reality is something you simply decide for for it to be. Reality is simply what your emotions tell you reality is. That there is no basis for calling what's real, real. Our world celebrates people losing touch with objective reality. And I'm not talking just about gender here. I am talking about the fact that there are people who now identify as a different species altogether. There are people who identify as cats and people who identify as dogs. There's a man who surgically altered himself to become a woman and then surgically altered himself to become a reptile because he believes that he is a a reptile, that that's what he's descended from. 
There's a man who self-identifies as a genderless alien and has had several surgeries to uh, make that appear real. That's not all. There are people, there are able-bodied people who, have, who identify as disabled. Right? They are, there's nothing wrong with them. They just identify as disabled people. And some people are so obsessed with the idea they actually have healthy limbs amputated so they can actually be disabled. There are people who self-identify as a different race other than their genetics. There are people who have romantic relationships with inanimate objects such as trees and even the earth itself. In fact, there's a woman in San Diego who is married to the Santa Fe Railroad Station in San Diego. Seriously, she has, she has the documents. She's married to this building and she spends every day, you know, kissing the building. And all around these people, their voices are celebrating them as they, they, they've thrown off the shackles of reality because, because these people, that reality, reality isn't a real thing. It's just what they've decided for it to be. And the consequences are, is that our kids are being exposed and taught these things and our kids are being taught that reality isn't real. Only your feelings are real. And so if you feel like a fermented pumpkin from Guatemala, then that must be real. Right? And everybody around you has to acknowledge that because it's real for you. Now, the third thing that our kids are being taught is that they're not created. Your kids are being taught that they're simply the outworkings of random naturalistic processes. Our kids are being taught that they're simply the product of mutations in the genetic code. Our kids are being taught that that they're just accidental consequences of the natural laws that govern the universe. That they're really, their life isn't anything other than nature taking its course. They're just highly evolved pond scum. And as a result, right, of that, then life really literally has no intrinsic meaning. Because one day they're going to die and all this will be over and there's no purpose to it all. There's no life after death and there's no real meaning. And so you might as well do whatever you want to do because we live today and we die tomorrow. That's what our kids are being taught. So in essence, our kids are being taught that truth is not real, reality is not real, and life has no purpose Those are the ideas that are competing for your child's mind and heart every single day. It's no wonder why we see kids behaving the way they do around the world. It's no wonder why that we see so much youth violence today, so much teen sexuality, so much blatant disrespect for the older generation, so so much self-entitlement, so much self-exaltation. They're being taught that the truth is not real, reality is not real, and that there is no purpose to your life. And so the ideas like this that are competing for your child's mind, those ideas have consequences. Ideas always do have consequences. That's why we we take VBS so very seriously. You see, there was an idea that was put forward by a man named Nietzsche in the 19th century, he said, in the 19th century, God is dead because we killed him. In the 20th century, it became the bloodiest century in all of human history as humanity celebrated its greatness as it threw off the shackles of morality and truth. That's why we take VBS so seriously. We want your kids not to buy in to that lie. We want your kids to hear the real truth. Truths like God made you. That's the first thing that we talked about. God made you. You're not just some product of random chance. God made you. You're not just some outworking of chemicals. God made you. You are not an accident of the universe. God made you. In fact, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the first thing that we talked about on Monday. 
Every one of these kids, we let them know that they are made by God. That means that they are special, that they are important, and they are valuable, and that means their lives have meaning and purpose and worth. That each of these kids are made in the image of God. In fact, the first memory verse that they learned, the very first one was Psalm 139, 14. It says, um, I give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. All right. Now that's the English, trans, English version uh, of that. But the way that they learned it was this way from the New Living Translation. It says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Our kids are not cosmic accidents. They were made by God. And the Bible points to this. And, and the, this verse celebrates the fact that each of our children are made by God and created in, in a wonderful and complex array of detail. Not two of them are the same. They are created exactly like God wants them to be created. You look at your children and with awe and wonder, you look at them and you go, how perfect they are. That's how God created them to be. That's how God created them to be seen. And what I love about this truth is that it gives us hope. It gives those children hope. Now, the second truth that we shared with the kids on Tuesday is God is for you. Not only did God create you, he is for you. He is on your side. You're God's special, unique creation, and he wants the best for you. God is for you. Imagine the power of those words. The creator God of the universe is for you. He's rooting for you. He's on your side. He cares about what's happening to you. And the Bible verse that they learned was Romans 8.31. If God is for us, then who could ever be against us? What a beautiful truth that is. If God is on our side, then who can come against us? This is the message of deep hope that our kids desperately need to hear. It's the message that will carry them through as the world tries to tell them there is no ultimate purpose for your life. As the world tries to tear them down, as the world tries to reduce them down to nothing more than emotions that are only chemical reactions in their brain, they can remember the truth that God is for you. So I love this verse. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? But I also love the other verses that surround this in the context. Two verses before that, God says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not only is God for us, but all things work together for good for those who love him. God takes all the pieces of our lives, both the good and the bad, the celebrations and the heartaches, everything that happens to us, God can take everything that happens to us and work them out for our ultimate good. That's the kind of God we serve. And then in verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Not only did, is God for us, right? He made a huge sacrifice so we can have a relationship with him. So that we can actually, he can have a relationship with us. And if he will do that, then what else will he do for us? The third truth that we taught your kids, not only is, did God make you and not only is he for you, but God is always with you. Loneliness is one of the greatest fears, I think, of, of adults and children. All your kids heard this message that you were never alone. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, God is always with you. No matter if you're rejected by your friends, 
or your family, no matter if you have no friends at all, no matter if, if everyone turns their back on you, no matter if you fail miserably, God is always with you. And the verse that they learned was Joshua 1.9, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I really love this verse. In fact, I love this verse so much that I taught a six-week series on this very idea a few years ago uh, in a series titled, Be Strong and Courageous. Because the entire verse reads this way, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, these verses are really, really important because, especially to me, because these verses have both a command and a promise. The promise is that God's always going to be with you wherever you go. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. God will always be with you. But it's also a command. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why? Not because, you know, you can do it on your own, but because God is with you, Right? That's, that's the truth that should change your life. It should change the way that you approach the world. It should change the way that you deal with things. God is with you. God says be strong and courageous, not because you're strong on your own, right? Not because you're powerful on your own. He says be strong and courageous because the creator of all things is with you. There's nothing you can't do if God is with you. God is with you. God is for you. God made you. These are the three truths that we began the week. But the most important truth that they learned is that God will always love you. Your kids learned that no matter where they go, no matter what they do, no matter what they go through, no matter how bad they fail, no matter how many times they fall down, God will always love them. Always love them. God's love will never fail them. In fact, they learned this Bible verse. It says, your unfailing love will last forever. Psalm 89.2. God's love doesn't fail and his love lasts forever. It's a kind, kind of like your love for your kids, only greater. In fact, they heard a Bible story that showed them how deep God's unfailing love truly is. It's the story of Jesus. And the story kind of goes something like this. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Every galaxy, every planet, every molecule, even the quantum foam, you can't even, you can't even imagine. The universe is 96, the observable universe is 96 billion light years across. And God created all that and more. Right. And he created, not only that, he created mankind. He created mankind, not only just as part of creation, but he created him special he created us in his own image, that we are intelligent and creative. He created us to be social and relational. And the Bible tells us that after God created mankind, he looked at his creation and saw that it was very good. Creation was perfect. God's creation was perfect. And mankind, Adam and Eve, had an unbroken fellowship with God. They walked with God, literally. They had an up-close, personal, intimate relationship with God himself. Everything was good. But God loved his creation and he loved mankind. In fact, he loved them so much that he gave them free will. Because what we know about love is that love is not love. It's not real unless it's freely given. Real love is not real if there is no choice to love back. So God gave them the freedom to follow God and love him back or go their own way. 
And one day Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and they chose their own way. And when that happened, sin and death entered the world. And that up close personal relationship, that life-giving relationship with God was destroyed. And as a result, the world has suffered terribly because of the consequences of sin and death. But God still loved his creation. He still loved his people. Understand, God absolutely hates sin, but he still loves mankind. In fact, he loved mankind so much that he didn't just hit the reset button and go, I'm going to start over and do this again. He put a plan in motion to redeem all of his creation, to save it. And that plan involved God, the Father, sending the Son to the earth. The Bible tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of John 1, the Bible says, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to save sinners like us. And so Jesus came and lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the righteous requirements of the law that we could not. He brought a message of hope to those who had no hope. He healed the lame and the sick, restored the sight to the blind. But in the greatest act of love Jesus committed, he willingly went to the cross and died in our place. Jesus literally died for our sin. He died to pay the price of our sins. The Bible reminds us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. And the wages of sin, what we rightly deserve because of our sin is death. All right? And not just physical death, but also spiritual death. We rightly deserve to be cut off from the life-giving presence of God in this life and the one to come. In fact, that's the very definition of hell, is to be permanently separated from God. And that's what we deserve for our sin. But Jesus died on the cross and shed his innocent blood to pay for that penalty. He came, as the, the, the psalm says, and even as the song says as we sing it, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He became forsaken for us so we could be forgiven. That's how much God loved us. In fact, the Bible tells us that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died as the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. Christ died because God loves your children that much. Christ died because God loves you that much. And then in three days later, Jesus arose from the dead, proving that he is what he claimed to be, God in the flesh, and that he could do what he promised to do, which is to save you from your sins and give you eternal life. That is the story that we celebrated with the kids. And we helped your children to see that. that we helped them to understand that all they need to do is receive, to receive forgiveness. All they need to do to have eternal life is to turn to Jesus and put their faith and trust in him alone for their salvation. That if they would put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And 12 young hearts made that profession of faith this week. Now, believe me, most of the kids we know, and most, most of those kids have already made those, that same profession. But they believed the story of the gospel, and they confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what we're supposed to do. That if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the 
Greek is emphatic. It doesn't mean that you might be saved. It might that you could possibly be saved, but you will be saved. Twelve kids respond to that, that unfailing love of God, and they receive Christ as Savior this year alone. God made them. God is for them. God is with them. And God will always love them. And the final truth that the kids learned at VBS is God made them for a reason. The world tells your kids that there's no ultimate reason for their existence except to just live. There's no purpose. There is no meaning. They're told that, that you only have this life to live, so you might as well do whatever you want to do because there's no real purpose to your life. Right? The best that you can hope for is maybe, hopefully, people remember your name 20 years after you die. But Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us something different. It says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Whew, what devastating words those are. God has a plan for your children's life. Right? God created them for a purpose. He made them for a reason. They are alive and they exist today because God made it that way. He granted it that way. And God has a reason for that. There's a reason why he created your children. Same reason he created you. Your children were created and you were created to glorify God, to bring honor and glory to God. That is your purpose. That's the reason why God made you. You and your kids were created to glorify God. Now we all do that in different ways. I'm called to glorify God as a pastor, which is, by the way, very unnatural to me. I'm called to love God by loving people which is very, very unnatural to me if you knew me like 10 years ago. I'm called to glorify God as a pastor. I'm called to glorify God by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to this community in our world. And I'll tell you, I told my wife when I first got saved, there's two things I won't ever do. I won't ever tell anybody my story and I won't ever preach a message. All right? For the glory of God, right? You're to glorify God in your own way as well. Maybe it's through your work that you glorify God. Maybe it's through your hobby. Maybe it's that you glorify God by being a volunteer in some service organization. Maybe it's the way you raise your children to the glory of God. Maybe, you know, you glorify God just in the little things that you do for your neighborhood and your community. You and your children are called to honor God. Your kids are called to honor God with their life. Whether it's a school, whether it's a youth group, whether it's a football game, whether it's the dinner table, your kids are called to glorify God in the way that they treat you. We're all called to glorify God in all of our lives. That is our purpose. That is our chief aim. And as John Piper says, God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. That's the purpose of your kids' life. God has a plan for their lives. He has a unique way that he can use them in the world. And I have seen it happen. I have seen the youth group that, that we have minister to other kids and change lives radically just because of the love of God that pours out in them. That's why they're created. And that's why we also push back on this idea, this postmodern idea that there's no objective standard of truth. Because there is an objective standard of truth. That standard is God and his word. And your kids have an opportunity to learn more about that and grow and live that way. 
We also reject the idea that there's no objective reality because there is. God is the author of reality. He created reality. God himself is real. Even the evidence of science is more and more pointing into that direction. God is real and he created reality itself. And the Bible says he made all things and he made mankind, male and female. The Bible says that he created every species after its own kind. The Bible says that there are real consequences in, for our choices in action. The Bible says that, that, that all of creation points to God and that there is a reality based on who he is. Reality is real, not just simply what we wish for it to be or what our emotions want to tell us. And so we reject that notion. And we reject the notion that your kids are just a collection of molecules randomly reacting to each other, right? Creating the illusion of life and purpose. Your kids are a gift from God, created for a purpose. That's the message that we work so hard this year to help your children to come to understand we, that, you, that they were created by God, that God loves them, he's with them, he's for them, and there's a purpose for their life. That is what we wanted them to learn. That is what we drove home over and over and over again. Now, here's the thing. VBS is over, and all the work that we've done here is now come and gone. Today's really the last part of Vacation Bible School. And as the music begins to fade, it will. You guys think, hopefully, because now that CD is going to be in your car, Right? And you will listen to the same songs a thousand times. But the music will one day fade. And so will the memory of the, uh, the prizes that they earned as they grow out of favor for the new Xbox game. Right? And, uh, and the Bible verses that they've memorized, if they don't practice them, they will become fuzzy. And the world will continue to move on and preach the same postmodern message to them over and over again that there is no truth. And that reality is not real and life has no purpose. Tomorrow when they turn on the TV, it'll be there. Day in and day out, they will hear this message at school. They'll, miss, they'll hear the message on television, at the movies, in their music, on social media platforms, over and over and over again. And as they grow, they will become more susceptible to this message. Especially as they become teenagers and they encounter this hypersexual world. Because that's what every, I don't know if you noticed, but, but when kids enter a secular university, there are two classes they take their very first year. Biology 101 and philosophy 101. The first one tells them that they're just a product of a random chance. The second one tells them that there is no God, so you might as well do what you want to do. So what do those teenagers do? Let's party. There's no consequences. That's the message that they're going to hear over and over again. And so my question for you, is really simply this, is what message do you want them to believe and which one do you want them to live by? Do you want them to believe that the truth is not real and that reality is not real and life has no intrinsic purpose? Or do you want them to believe the truth that God made them, that he is for them and he is with them and that he loves them and he created them for a reason? Which of these messages do you want your kids to live by? Which one of these do you want your kids to build their lives on? And believe me, hear me, they will build their life on some idea. They will build their life on some philosophy, whether they realize it or not. Now, the reason why I ask this question is really, really simple. That the very first step of living a life of hope and believing you know, that God created them and he's with them and he's for them and he loves them is for them to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And these kids did that. 
is to make a confession of faith. And that's what they did. It's by following Jesus and living a life that he, but, it, but it's also following Jesus beyond that. It's living a life that it, God is calling them to live. It's, it's getting to know God more and more each and every day. Because how can you know someone if you don't spend time with them? That's the kind of thing that requires discipleship. It requires that they get in a position to learn how to follow Christ one day at a time and to walk in the hope because your kids will be challenged. Your kids will face harsh realities. Your kids will be confronted with brutal facts and realities around them. How do you give them the hope to continue on? How do you give them the strength to encounter what the world is trying to sell them? The way you do that is you get your kids plugged in. You need to help your kids make a lifestyle choice and a change. It has to be more than VBS. I mean, VBS is 10 hours long, and believe me, it's a long 10 hours. <laughs> All right, and we give our heart and soul. I mean, we sing the songs, we repeat the phrases, we teach them the Bible. I mean, we do everything we can do, right? But it's just 10 hours, because 10 hours is not very much time. It will begin to lose its, its impact on their life. So you need to get your children plugged in into a loving church community. Now, the first thing you might think, because if you're new here, you might think, well, you just want them to join your church and your uh, here's It's not about that for me. If you know me, you'll understand that's not what it's about because I really don't care. Get your kid plugged into a Bible-believing, Orthodox teaching church that teaches a foundational truth about Christianity and it doesn't have to be here, right? You don't even have to like me. That's cool. I'm, there's some people who don't. That, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll love you anyway, right? But the thing is I'm trying to communicate to you is that you can't allow this momentum in your kid's life. Now they're suddenly curious about the things of God and suddenly they, they hear this message of hope. What are you going to do with it now? It's up to you because the, the statistics are just really striking. If parents don't help their kids stay in church, they won't. And so then the impact of that, this, this hope-filled week will be a certain amount. And then moms, if you bring your kids to church, you know, the impact goes way up, Right? But dads, if you are the ones, 75% of your kids are likely to stay in church after they become adults. If dads get involved. And I'm not saying you have to be here. I'm saying that there are other Bible-believing churches around us. You want me to give you a list? I'll be happy to do so. I know the other pastors here. They're my good friends. We want you to understand is what matters to us is what happens to the life of your kids. What we all want, every one of the VBS staff, we here at First Baptist Church, what we want is your kid to have a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to see your kid live a life of hope that comes from knowing God. We want to see your child grow up and become all that God desires for them to be. But I'll tell you what we want most importantly is ultimately we want to see your kids standing at the feet of Jesus in heaven when, when, when God finally fulfills his final promise. That, our, that your kids are there at the fulfillment of all of our hope. That's what we want to see. So that's why we do VBS. That is our heart. That is the kind of 101 of what our motivation is. That's why we work long hours. That's why we pray so hard, right? That's why we, you know, we endure little attitudes, right? We, like you, want the best for your kids, and a growing relationship with the God who made them, 
who is for them, who is with them, who loves them and has a purpose for them. That ultimately is what's best for them. And so we all want you to know that your kids are welcome here and you're welcome here. In fact, I'd like to just share with you just something really quick. It kind of gives you an idea of who we are as a church from the inside. So what does this mean for us? I mean, what does this tension between grace and truth have to do with us? I mean, Jesus, the Bible says, is full of grace and truth. What does that mean then for you and and for me and for this church? Everything. You see, we are to be spiritually maturing Christ followers, growing into the fullness of the image of Christ, which means if Jesus was full of grace and truth, then I need to be full of grace and truth, which means you need to be full of grace and truth. And because we're the church, then the church needs to be full of grace and truth. And Christ is the example of that. In fact, let me show you what this looks like. It looks like this. No matter who you are, and no matter where you've been, and no matter what you've done, you are welcome here. That you are welcome in our building, that you are welcome in our community, and you are welcome in our lives. And we love you and care about you, and we're here for you, no strings attached. And understand, we're going to be honest with you, we're going to tell you the truth, because, because we love you, we will tell you the truth. We owe it to you, and we owe it to God to be real with you and honest with you, even if it hurts. And so we're going to tell you that drunkenness is killing your family and your relationships. That pornography is eating you up from the inside out. That jealousy and bitterness is going to destroy your family. That infidelity and adultery and lust and envy, all those things are sin. And those sins dishonor God. And that sin at some point will cost you something in your lives. A sin always does. We're going to tell you that the way that you act at work, away from church and away from your Christian friends, that matters. The way that you treat your kids matters. The way that you talk to your spouse matters. The way that you treat strangers, especially those who are different from you, matters. But you also have to understand, we we don't condemn you. We don't hate you. We don't look down our self-righteous noses at you. In fact, we forgive you. We love you. More importantly, we identify with you. And we're here for you. And we're praying for you. And you and your life is important to us. And we want to help you. We want to help you draw close to the only one who can offer you any real hope at all and any real healing at all, which is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to help you to get to know who he is. And we're going to help you have a relationship with him. We're going to help you begin to follow him and to become a spiritually maturing Christ follower too. And we're going to tell you the truth because it's going to get hard. And at times you're going to have doubts. And there'll be times you're going to wonder where God is. And there'll be times you're going to feel like you're failing God. And I'm going to tell you right now, there will be times you will fail him. But we're going to give you grace. And we won't get offended by your doubt. And we won't get upset by your heart questions and we won't disown you when you fall down and make a mess of things we're going to love you and we're going to consistently remind you that Jesus loves you and he loves you so much that he died for you and when the road gets hard we're going to be here right here with you and no matter what happens we will be here all the while pouring into your life both grace and truth because we are a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, completely committed to share the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world because we 
our First Baptist Church, and you are welcome here. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for the privilege that you have given us to minister to these kids. Lord, make all of our hearts tender like those children. Help us to come to you with that childlike faith. Help all of us, Lord, to receive your word with gladness. Let it sink into our hearts and change us from the inside out. Father, may we, every one of us in this room, be a people who call upon your name, Lord, and who are transformed so much that we go out into the rest of the world that we have nothing but compassion and love to share with the rest of our community. That, Father, we're able to put behind us grievances and frustrations and bitterness and strife, and, Lord, that we would go out and we would share the hope of Christ with the world. And that we would then also seek to reach more children, Lord God. And that this community would be a beacon of hope because not only are there adults here who love you, but there's a brand new generation that, that that you're raising up, Lord God, who are faithful to you, Lord God, and who hear the call of your voice. And I pray, Father God, for all the families that have come here. I pray, Lord, your protection on them and your blessing on them. I know, Lord, that some of them need you in a a desperate way, and I pray that you'd meet them right where they are, whether it's material things, whether it's emotional things, whether it's even spiritual things. And I pray, Father God, that as a church family, we'd rise up together and we would help to minister to each other and to love each other a fresh way and a brand new way, Lord. This church is 79 years old, but it's just a blip in the radar of all of Christianity. But I pray, Father God, that you would raise up a generation in this church to continue on and carry this legacy forward another 79. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for all that are here. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world. Thank you.